Right, where was I? Yes. So. All of his stuff was relics. Yeah. So we thought Edward the Confessor died, sad. He got a saint, hood, fine. But all of his things became relics. Mm. Um, and the monks at Westminster Abbey kept all of his stuff. So a hundred years later, when he's made a saint, these things are suddenly worth a lot. Mm-hmm. They're considered uh, really cool. And Henry II decided that for his coronation, rather than have a new crown sort of built for him, like people had Most done before, did, yeah. he would use Edward's crown because it was the crown of a saint and it would Im- sort of imbue him yeah, with yeah, further... It, yeah, it's bling, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just carried on. So his crown was used for, like, God, that would have been 1200s. It was used for 500 years. What, really up until, like, George the First? No, no, no. It was, it was used up until Oliver Cromwell, who then destroyed it, because he's a dick. Um, and... Yeah, Oliver Cromwell, giant dick. You know, we shouldn't have been venerating Edward the Confessor's crown, though, because Edward the Confessor was a tool. Well, we know that. <laughs> I don't think people landed. Um, so anyway, he... Oliver Cromwell got rid of it, and then they just made a new one. In the same style? In exactly the same oh. style. However, apparently the original had two little bells on it, <laughs> which I can only assume was so everyone would know when Edward the Confessor was turning up so they could get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> like, you put a bell on a cat. Lads, he's going to get us killed. Get the fuck out. <laughs> God. It's just, wouldn't that be great if every time they put the... Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you know, Lizzie's coming to Parliament. Mm. <laughs> Can you hear the bells? Oh no, that's the state crown. She's not allowed to wear the coronation crown for that. She's got a state crown that's oh, separate right, okay. for state events. And I believe opening of um, Parliament still counts as that. Mm. Mm. Royalty's stupid. Oh god, I, I was <laughs> so learning stupid. so much about it. This is beautiful. Honestly, you're going to like the mini series. Oh. Oh. Which one did I say I was going to start with today? Aha! Oh, you'll like this one. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with... This story starts... well, no, doesn't start. This story is mainly set in the Victorian era because it starts all the way back in 1314. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> because 1314 is the first time that football as a sport was mentioned in records. It's the football. When the Lord Mayor of London issued a decree on behalf of King Edward II, which read, For as much as there is great noise in the city caused by the hustling over large footballs in the fields of public, for which many evils might arise, that God forbid, we command and forbid on behalf of the king, on pain of imprisonment, such a game be used in the city in the future. So it's banned from the city of London in 1314. So does that in, does that just the city of London, as in the city, the financial district, as it is today? Well, it's the Lord Mayor, so I assume it's just the the, the mile. Ah, oh, poo. Mm. We could have used that loophole to get rid of Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, and Fulham forever, guys. <laughs> well, it was the easy joke to say, and football never returned to London since that day. Well, I mean, you can't deny that you know they've had some small success. <laughs> Here and there. So, How many European Cups, guys? <laughs> How many European Cups has the whole of the city of London won? Because it's one. It's one. Manchester has three. And Liverpool has six. Yeah, five of those by Everton. 
<laughs> no. no. <laughs> so football was chaotic and brutal, and the exact nature of the game changed from county to county. So football was a local sport as well as a national sport. Nice. The rules that could be agreed on weren't exactly great either. <laughs> so it was generally accepted that shinning was an acceptable tactic, and that uh, meant kicking other members of the opposite team uh, hard in the shins, and it could take place anywhere on the pitch. Do, fair enough. Do, do we have any comments on thighing, or is it specifically you're only allowed to kick them in the shins? I think you're pretty much allowed to kick them. <laughs> Just shinning. Shin is the is the maybe you know, most likely backwards. target. Yeah, maybe we've got it backwards. Maybe you're allowed to hit them with your shin anywhere on their body. <laughs> Come, flying shin. <laughs> I mean, it bloody hurt. <laughs> It took until 1581 when a scholar called Richard Mulcaster suggested the game might be improved by possibly limiting the number of players on the pitch, <laughs> introducing an umpire to enforce some prearranged rules. Those suggestions were roundly ignored by the commoners of England, who quite liked it the way it was, with entire villages against entire Having villages, and the goals being... That building over there, yeah. and that building over there. Oh, so basically, football. Isn't there like a pair of villages that still actually play football, like like as, as original yeah. crazy lunatic football? Yeah, and it's basically a, a giant rioty punch up every year. Yeah, yeah, but you could stop uh, mid game, go to the pub, have a few beers, come back out, and the actual ball may have moved a hundred yards in either direction. Yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. And it might have carried on in the same form to this day, which would be amazing if it hadn't been for two <laughs> things that happened. I doubt the Premier League would be a multi-billion dollar organisation if it was about the entire population of Watford lining up against the entire population of wherever Aston Villa is and just beating the crap. Actually, no, I could probably see that. Actually. <laughs> so, the two things that happened. Firstly, our good friend Oliver Cromwell, during his time as Lord Protector outlawed all things fun as we know and this included football his main complaint was that it was often played on the sabbath mm. and the ban on sunday matches lasted for the next 300 years so he's kind of like the prototypical burnley chairman who banned us watching football on the tv on saturdays he he basically said for no reason at all burnley chairman from the 1950s he basically said you of course you can play football but you can only do it on days that aren't sunday and most of the common folk of England went, yes, but we only get one day off. Oh, right, and that okay. day is Sunday. And Oliver Cromwell then went, oh, anyway. <laughs> this is a classic tale of privilege. Yeah, yeah. Even, even the great protector, the leveller. Who's buried with a crown. Let's not put that aside. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. He, he, was, he was a hypocrite. Oh, yeah. He this... was also really ugly, wasn't he? I, I don't know. I have a feeling that part of that is sort of... Um, Propaganda Monarchist from propaganda. the restoration. <laughs> you know, the, the same way Napoleon wasn't short, but we won the war, so fuck you, Napoleon. You're a midget from now on in the eyes of history. <laughs> I think it's a bit the same with Oliver Cromwell. Yeah, okay, fair I enough. I don't think he was handsome. Right. That's wrong, but the thing with Napoleon's totally cool because he's French. Mm. Well, I mean, Corsican. Does that count? I, I, I leave it to you to decide. He was the counts. emperor of France. Come on, that's mm. got to be good enough. 
Yeah, I mean, technically Hitler wasn't German, but for various reasons, you kind of <laughs> equate the two in, in a lot of ways. When Austria, you Austria's the quiet psychopath stood behind Germany. Germany's like, we're well, so bad at us, guys. And Austria's like, yes, be mad at Germany. <laughs> Don't pay any attention to the mountain crazy people. <laughs> we're here for your thumbs. Anyway, football. Yeah, the second thing as if Oliver Cromwell wasn't bad enough, mm. was the Industrial Revolution. Long <laughs> fact- did that affect football? Long factory shifts meant there was not the time available to play games that might last the better part of a day and could result in mul- multiple injuries. Okay, okay. You you didn't have the opportunity to just do that. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you got your arm broken in a day-long piss-up slash punch-up, how were you supposed to work the next 18 hours diving underneath a cotton jenny? Well, things got so bad that by 1801, a survey of British sports described football as being in disrepute and but little practised. Oh, well, fair so enough. On, on the edge. It was on the cusp of becoming... So what were the common people playing at that time then? Do, do you have any idea? No idea, but I assume pub games. I assume mm. this is when darts and snooker... And things like that really I, took I, off. I, I'm going to be honest with you, I can't see snooker because the most, most like pictures, not that there's many pictures, but... Yeah, they weren't even floors, they were covered in sand. Yeah, you know, we're, we're not talking about like people who had lots of space. Okay, beer skittles. <laughs> the, the urban poor were sort of tragic in every respect. <laughs> yeah, there was very little equestrian sports going on as well. In, in the heart of industrialised uh, yeah. cities and towns. You do surprise me, sir. Southordians were known for riding around on massive drays. Oh, they were great at dressage. <laughs> <laughs> the, the famous software dressage team of the 1800s. Horse dancing. Oh, they could make those horses dance, though. And the decline of football might have been terminal if the boys at Rugby Public School had not adopted the game from the local town and started playing a modified, shorter version. But the violence of football was seen as a good way of improving the character of the future <laughs> leaders of the empire. Well, I mean, I don't know how many of you have gone to a public school, but I went to a public school, a very minor public school, not one of the ones where like the leaders would come out. In fact, at my, um, we had a speech day every year where like prizes were awarded. Uh, probably in mimicry of one of the better-known public schools, and we were explicitly told that we were the future middle managers of Britain. <laughs> middle yeah, managers. Yeah. So you know, wow. I'm not, we're not talking about a top-end public school, but I did go to public school, and and I use, am now a middle yeah, manager. Yeah, using well, I mean, I part own a business. It's not quite middle management, but anyway, <laughs> enough about me. The point is that I can I can completely believe that a group of learned men would sit down together and go, "We'd beat the shit out of these boys." They will turn out exactly the way we want. Because it's still happening today, people. All the public schools decided that you should allow shin in. That's integral to the the game. You've Mm. got to be able to kick people at any given moment on that pitch. However, they changed the name of it to hacking. Because it sounded better. Yeah. And less violent? Equally violent? But despite all of this innovation, hmm. I mean, they've changed the name. Uh, it was not public school boys in the South who formed the first official football club. That Arna lies with... Blythe Spartans? Nope. Oh. Sheffield. Ah, I just assumed the name as stupid as Blythe Spartans would have, could only have come from the early Victorian era. Um, I have no idea where Blythe Spartans comes from, but you've got to admit they have one of the better crests for British football teams. 
I don't know the Blythe Spartan's crest. What is it? It's a Spartan helmet. Oh, right. I mean, <laughs> way to be super obvious, guys. Jesus. So, members of the Sheffield Cricket Club formed Sheffield Football Club on October the 24th, 1870, uh, 1857. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just love the idea that there's a bunch of cricketers going, ah, I do love cricket, guys. But there's just not enough violence in my life. Nah. Well, do you remember football? <laughs> it's yeah. back. No. <laughs> it was to keep their energy levels up during the winter months when you couldn't play cricket. Oh, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. By 1860, they developed the Sheffield rules, finally outlawing handling of the ball because that had been fine up oh, until right. this point. So is, 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 this, is this the point at which like what would become league and union rugby at some point in the future and football split from the same root sport you're getting closer to that right okay they also controversially Hmm. banned hacking oh you couldn't kick people anymore you couldn't kick the sheffield rules said you can't kick people anymore those bloody soft northerners (laughs) (laughs) in december that year the first ever derby match was played between sheffield football club and hallam football club the Oof. fixture has been played 153 times, mm. and Sheffield Football Club currently have bragging rights after beating Hallam FC 3-2 in 2013. Oh, so Hallam still exists. That's cool. They're, they're both in lower leagues. Yeah, I just assumed that you were going to tell me that um, like Hallam became Sheffield Wednesday. but <laughs> <laughs> No, no. Sheffield have got a lot of teams, it turns out. Well, I mean, they, they kind of invented proto-football, so you'd assume that it was popular enough for them to codify it around Sheffield. But with these new, improved, simplified rules, hmm. and with the the amount of public schoolboys being churned out who fondly <laughs> remembered the game, <clears throat> football was growing in popularity, but it still had no centralised authority. Hmm. So basically, if you were going to play a game of football, both teams had to agree on the rules beforehand. So you'd, you'd have a chat before so. the game to say, are we going to allow <laughs> handling today? Are we going to have... A limit on the amount of players what's, we're going to have. What's oh, that yeah. political philosophy that's like that? Like the idea that there can be, like, is it libertarianism? The idea that there's no rules except for what you agree to codify, what you agree to abide by between whatever two parties. An- anarcho-libertarianism? It, it's some strain of libertarianism. Anarcho-capitalism? Something like that. Anyway, Jacob Rees' Mog, Jacob Rees Mog's dad wrote a book about it, and he's a dickhead, so... Well... Anyway, off that tangent. We're, 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 not going, we're not going down that route because <clears throat> you've got a load of public school boys, the future middle managers of England. <laughs> and the occasional leader. Come and on, the, some and of they rise. did what they do best and they organised a meeting on October the 26th, 1863 with representatives from 12 clubs. I'm going to say mainly London clubs because this meeting happened in London. Mm. Um and they met at the Freemasons Tavern on Great Queen Street. Mm-hmm. The meeting was chaired by a gentleman with the unlikely but glorious name of Ebenezer Cobb Morley, <laughs> who formed what? Barnes FC in 1862. Fair enough. Eleven of the twelve agreed to form the Football Association. It was, it was Ebenezer Morley the guy who inspired Charles Dickens to write Ebenezer Scrooge and Marley and Marley as characters in... Uh, no. Christmas Carol. I'm, I'm going to go with no because he seemed to be quite a kindly old gentleman who formed a football club yeah, but that he like, was too old to play yeah. for. He was kind of it was kind of a benefactor kind of thing. Either that or he really liked watching young boys run around, and this was a way to do that yeah, legitimately. You know, we don't know. And really. if he goes into the showers afterwards, 
Who knows? <laughs> you know, just to congratulate the guys on a job well done. Then that's just japes. But just as, just <clears throat> on another side, <clears throat> knowing what we know about Charles Dickens' terribly shit sense of humour, it would probably be like his idea of a hilarious prank to write in a character based on an incredibly kindly person as the world's biggest arsehole. Well, if that kindly That's... person just so happened to own money, yeah. I can imagine that. <laughs> that would be a great way of giving a fuck you to him. <laughs> Sheffield FC joined in November mm. and then immediately petitioned that they adopted Sheffield rules over the agreed Cambridge rules. Did that go down like a lead balloon? Well, they, they argued that hacking and carrying the ball in your hands was directly opposed to football, which I think we'd all agree... With the modern lens, it's it's why it it's it's why I cannot accept American football as a sport called football. I have no problem with the sport; I find it fairly entertaining. It's just you need to change the name, people. You just, well, it's only like to. rugby football. Yeah, I know, but I I, dis- I like rugby gets a pass because everybody knows it as rugby, and if you took away the word football, no one would care. But American football is referred to by most of its fans as football. And if you took away the word football, they'd get really annoyed about it. And they need to let it go. I'm sorry. I know you're a big fan. Can we just call it gridiron and be done? Yes, I'm happy with gridiron. I'm happy with whatever you want to call it, as long as it's not called football. (laughs) That's fine. I can... We can agree on that. Mm. I don't know if we'll manage to get the you know, no, I'm NFL... Never, I'm never going to get America to agree, yeah. and that's the only people that matter <laughs> in this discussion. <laughs> nice. So, six weeks of meetings to decide what the rules should be. And this was after the original 11 had agreed. They were happy. And then Sheffield <laughs> turned up. And they went, isn't it great to have some representation from, you know, one of the Northern Territories? <laughs> and it immediately turned into a massive sort of... Do you know, I'm starting to see where this stereotype of the Northerners is whinging and moaning comes from. Every time we interact with them, we're like, no, do it our way. Yeah. Well, to be honest, there was a bit of give and take on both sides. So... Hmm. Uh, they ended with a mixed version of the two rules. Uh, hacking was banned. Good. And you couldn't run with the ball in your hands, but you could catch the ball to earn a free kick. What? That was that was the original so rules. So you, you could catch the ball, and then you would get an advantage from doing that. You catch the ball, you could place it down, and you would have one free kick. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one of the founder members of the FA, bear in mind it had been in you know existence for a couple of months, mm-hmm. Blackheath immediately resigned as they could not accept the loss of hacking. They then became the oldest open rugby club in the world. <laughs> so you were talking about the origins of rugby. That's where it is. You won't let me kick a man? Well, I am out. Well, and I'm going to develop my entire different sport. But you can't kick people in rugby either. Is that a later evolution? Basically? What you're telling me is that originally rugby was the violent sport. Yes. I'd just like to say... Fuck you to every single rugby teacher I ever had at public school who taught me that rugby was the sport for gentlemen and football was the sport for thugs. Fuck you. You were wrong. I'm talking to you. Beep. I'm talking to you. Beep. Fuck you. That bit is completely getting cut. <laughs> I well, really... Just, I did can we just, can we just, can we just Can we just beep the names? I don't have a... I can put a beep in. I didn't realise that mentioning public school would be so triggering, but considering we're talking about British history on this podcast, most of the people are probably going to have gone to public school at some point. Yeah, but that's the difference. This is inherently wrapped up with the idea of public school. People who went to public school, not triggering. 
It doesn't really trigger me. I'm just feeling it this at the moment. I'll, I'll try and rein it in. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so the rules would change a lot in the first decade. Hmm. Most notably, in 1866, the offside rule was changed to allow you to pass to a player in front of you as long as three opposing players were between the player and the goal. This oh, so allowed that's... the development of passing as a tactic. Yeah, I was going to say, that's pretty close to how it works today, isn't it? As opposed to what was happening before then, which was punting the ball forwards and the entire team charging Gone. at it oh like a God. crazed mob. <laughs> so original football was basically how seven-year, like unsupervised seven-year-olds play football. Yes. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> well, because it's the, the reason that seven-year-olds play that way is because it's the most natural feeling way of right, playing football. Right, 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 right. You just, you just go for it. Mm. In the same year, it was also decided that tape should be stretched between the two goalposts to mark the top of the goal. It was until this point, the ball could pass between the posts at any height and still be considered a goal. <laughs> so you could, like, for, say, erect 400-foot-high goalposts and just score giant lob goals. Right, now, like, nobody would do that because probably the technology didn't exist to make 400-foot-high goalposts that would stand up, but... You could no, do that within the rules. It was the same argument that you would have playing with jumpers marking the goals where you would have a shot and some people would say that was wide and you would say, no, that was well in. And eventually the consensus on the pitch would, would carry the day. Right. So in 1870, all forms of handling on the pitch were prohibited for good. Even for keepers? The next year... The term goalkeeper was invented. <laughs> so we're, we're nearly a millennium into this sport existing. And it's finally, after an entire millennium... Looking a bit like modern yes. football. But one thing was missing. Uh, arrogance. Diving. Competition. Oh. <laughs> Up until 1871, all matches were considered exhibitions. As there was no formal league structure... Despite the FA had grown, there were 50 member clubs at this point. But no trophies. At this Nothing. point, there were no tro- There no. hadn't been trophies for a millennium. No. I mean, I get the early days when it was just about bra- like, like my, my village beat up your village. Like, yeah. I get that. But what's the point of a professional? Were they professional clubs or just amateurs? All no, amateurs? These, these were all amateurs at this particular point. Yeah, but even if you're doing it for the love of it, surely the most natural, like, you know, cricket, well, no, you'd have cricket's a game, had competition for a while. would be an exhibition match. Right. So you you could say we're going to play you guys so was, next was, week, and it was just bragging rights yeah. the whole time. And we're going to yeah, paste the socks off you. Um, <laughs> Did they have socks? Were they not uniformly referred to as stockings at that point? Uh, I, no, no, we'll get to it. But definitely <laughs> referred to as socks. There is a specific sock section to this, so don't worry. Oh my god, that's I'm something the, to look forward this, to. This is the best. <laughs> so then, twenty-nine-year-old FA secretary. And, incidentally, captain of Wanderers Football Club. Not Bolton, they were just called Wanderers Football Club. Charles W. Alcock had a dream. Mm -hmm. He proposed that a Challenge Cup should be organised. Alcock based the idea on an inter-house sudden death tournament he'd participated in while studying at Harrow. And he thought it would help to raise the profile of the FA within the country. Mm -hmm. The competition would be open to all 50 teams and it cost just £1 to enter. So he invented the FA Cup. Also, no expenses will be paid for the travelling teams. Mm-hmm. Also, the majority of the teams, as we've said, were amateurs. <laughs> so 13 teams signed up for the <laughs> inaugural Football Association Cup. Were they mainly Southern? They were Barnes, mm-hmm. Civil Service, Crystal Palace, but not the one that you're thinking of. Okay? <laughs> a different one. Probably a better one. Screw you, Palace. Hitchin. Mm-hmm. Maidenhead, 
who have never moved from their home ground of York Road. It is officially the oldest continually used football ground in the world. So, well done, Maidenhead. Props to Maidenhead. Yeah. You, you, stuck, you, you got lumped with a silly name and you stuck with it. Well done. I'd imagine they've never really needed to up their capacity. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe they did, but... I feel yes. like the South, you started strong in football, but once it found its natural home, you sort of got taken over. So, Great Marlow, Upton Park, who were the team to suggest the concept of a goalkeeper? So, well done, Upton Park, for thinking outside the box. Wait, did, did or, Upton Park eventually become West Ham? No. Oh, this good. Is separate. I can give them credit then. Yeah. Congratulations, Upton Park. Clapham Rovers, Royal Engineers, Rygate Priory, <laughs> Wanderers. <laughs> Were Rygate Priory actually monks? As far as I know, yes. <laughs> I'm going to assume they are until somebody corrects me. Harrow Checkers. <laughs> they were called Harrow Checkers. Yep. Donington School. Right. Hampstead Heathens. <laughs> best name. They win best name. Who have, yeah, the coolest name. I've actually written coolest name, but disbanded after losing oh, in this Hampstead Heathens. Yeah, and Queen's Park. But they didn't range at this point. (laughs) Well, of these 13 teams, only two were from north of Birmingham. Donington School from Mm. Lincolnshire and Mm -hmm. Queen's Park from Scotland. Oh, that Queen's Park. The first round of games took place on November the 11th, 1871, with three teams, including Queen's Park and Donington, Mm. receiving buys. Because... There weren't enough to make a full bracket. Yeah, and if you're going to exclude a team... You, no one wants to travel north. Right, yeah, um, yeah, fair enough. Of the six scheduled games to play, only four took place. As Harrow <laughs> and Rygate withdrew, this allowed Royal Engineers and Wanderers, the club of Alcock, who had proposed the entire tournament, yeah, 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 yeah. to progress. Didn't have to play a game. Right. So it's going well for him at the moment. In the second round, four of the scheduled five games were actually played. The exception was Queen's Park versus Donington, as Donington chose to forfeit rather than be expected to travel to Scotland. Mm. So Queen's Queen's Park have got through the first two rounds of games by basically being a pig to get to. <laughs> Classic Scotland. And in the quarterfinals, Queen's Park received another bye through to the semi-finals without having played a single match. These guys are good. Yeah, they're good. Why did they receive that bye? Again, because nobody wanted mm. to travel there. Royal... They, got, they got drawn at home and won by default. Yeah. Royal Engineers Queen's beat Park Hampstead Heathens 2-0, which was the end of the Hampstead Heathens, unfortunately. <sighs> Hampstead Heathens, what could have been? <laughs> what could have been? <laughs> While Wanderers, with Alcock as captain, and Crystal Palace played out a nil-nil draw. Right. But it was decided <laughs> that both could progress, no need for a replay. How could, how could both progress? Again, Wanderers, with Alcock <laughs> as captain, the guy who came up with the tournament, yeah, it, why would we play the game again? We need four... For the semi-finals anyway. And one one game didn't happen. Yeah, yeah so we're fine. Enough. So four teams that were left. Crystal Palace, they'd won two, uh, drawn two and won one mm. to get to the semi-finals. Mm-hmm. Wanderers, who had drawn one, won one and been given a bye. Mm-hmm. Royal Engineers, who had been given one bye in the first round and had won two games with an aggregate score of 7-0. And Queen's Park, who were yet to actually play a game because they were insisting Did- on being awkwardly Scottish. Did, did they even know they were playing in a tournament? <laughs> At this point... Had they forgotten about it and been in the pub the whole time? <laughs> they could have done anything. I, I'm kind of like... 
I know that this isn't how this story goes. I mean, I don't know, but I'm fairly certain that Queen's Park didn't win the world's first, the first FA Cup. But because you'd hear about it more if a Scottish team had won the first FA Cup. <laughs> but I kind of want them to win it on buys. So. Right, so the semi-finals were drawn as Wanderers versus Queen's Park hmm. and the Royal Engineers versus Crystal Palace. Okay. And both semi-finals were to be played at the Kensington Oval. Okay. And both were nil-nil draws. Okay. Did Wanderers magically get through? Uh, Royal Engineers won their replay 3-0. Hmm. So, legitimate, yep, up to fair. place in the final. Whilst Wanderers were given the victory when Queen's Park said they couldn't afford to fund another trip to London to play. Ah, Queen's Park. Again, the man who suggested the tournament in the first place was the captain of Wanderers. Right, so basically what you're telling me is literally nothing has changed all down the years from the FA through to UEFA through to FIFA. Everything is bent and always has been. Well, they got to the final having won one match Hmm. in a tournament that potentially should have included 50 teams. Yeah, so it's like... So, you know... But, but... So he's the set blatter of his day. Basically. Whatever. He's there. <laughs> his team are there. Sorry, Michelle Platini. Yeah. Set blatter was never a footballer. On March the 16th, 1872, at the Kennington Oval, in front of a packed crowd of 2,000, nice. the first FA Cup final took place. The referee for the match was a man by the name of Alfred Stair. Later, stair, like climbing in, the stairs. or stair. climbing the stair. Right. <laughs> but Later. just one. <laughs> No, he wasn't called Alfred Stairs. He was called no, Alfred, Alfred Stair. How do you even get that surname? I'll look it up later, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> later, Stair would manage the fourth England versus Scotland international, which is notable for the fact that every player on both teams wore a different colour and pattern of sock. A pamphlet was given to each spectator so that the fans could identify each player by their socks. I, I want like I knew there was a sock section coming up because you mentioned it before, but that, that is so much more more glorious than any sock section. Wouldn't you love to see that pamphlet? <laughs> I bet it's probably worth millions if anybody's got an extant copy. It's like a, a <laughs> genuine the, artifact of football. Yeah, what from a, a, an international in the eighteen seventies, mm. and you've got the sock pamphlet mm. unfaded. I completely wish that that had become a thing. Also, to add to the confusion. The England players chose to play in their team strips rather than a unified national strip. Uh, did... <laughs> Scotland what? were playing in the Scotland kit. They uh, they they just dialed in. Just yeah, they socks. dialed into their kit. It was dark blue, you white, know, shorts. white shorts, and then crazy, crazy socks. socks. Oh, but I mean, it kind of works for Scotland because it's a country that loves golf. Yeah. Golfists wear crazy socks, so like I feel like they're kind of like going for some sort of cross-sport appeal there, whereas England were just not taking the... Well, not... As, as, sorry, scratch that not. England were just taking the piss. <laughs> well, I love the idea that they were pitching this socks idea and they went with it. And then during the game, somebody somewhere went, what if we just put the names on the shirt? Wouldn't that be easier? <laughs> this sort of emperor's new clothes yeah. scenario. All these public schoolboys are sat there going, oh, well, shit. the first time you play a game in mud... <laughs> Everybody's wearing brown socks now. <laughs> Everybody is Harris. What's going on here? Everybody is Harris sounds like the name of a really passive aggressive board game. <laughs> Shout Harris to win. Harris! I say the board's superfluous. You all just sit there staring at each other, waiting. Who's going to shout you Harris? Bastard is Harris. <laughs> So the Wanderers lined up with eight forwards, mm-hmm. 
while the engineers, who developed a new style of play called the combination game, Passing. Pass and move. Passing, yeah. <laughs> Only lined up with seven forwards. What? Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry, seven forwards. At least it's seven players for no, a second. Seven forwards. <laughs> okay, so early in the game, Edmund Cresswell of the Engineers suffered a broken collarbone in a melee. <laughs> it's, a fo- <laughs> it's not advanced that much, then. <laughs> there were no substitutes. Yeah, there wasn't substitutes until like, worry, the 80s, wasn't there? Wasn't he refused it? to leave the pitch. Oh, good for him. And was essentially a, a traveller for the, for the <laughs> next what, 80 minutes. Um, so the engineers were essentially down to 10 men. Mm-hmm. Then a long dribble from Robert Walpole, Vidal. Robert Walpole? No, Robert Walpole, Vidal, for Wanderers, <laughs> cut through the three-man engineer's defence. So, so somebody with the surname Vidal named their son after the world's, after Britain's first prime minister. It's his name. <laughs> it's great in the early days of modern football though the team who scored a goal would then take the kick off you could also kick off to yourself making good use of these rules Vidal has gone down in history as the only man to score a hat-trick without another player touching the ball in between goals oh epic he what would later epic go on to become fact. a vicar oh. well I mean to, to be honest a man who can score a hat-trick without anybody else touching the ball in an FA Cup final is touched by God. Oh, no, God. this wasn't an FA Cup final. This was just in a game. Oh, right. Well, <laughs> even so, he's touched by God. I yes. get that. That uh, makes complete sense. If somebody explained that fact to me, I'd be like, yes, you have a main line to the man upstairs. But in this final, the Prince of Dribblers instead took a leaf out of the engineer's book mm. and passed the ball to a wide-open Morton Betts, who slotted in from a tight angle to put the Wanderers up 1-0, 15 minutes in. Morton Betts sounds like a one of them low budget Scandinavians who played in the Premier well, League in the nineties. Well, none of the none of the fans in the stadium would have known it was Morton Betts hmm. who scored the goal because he was playing under a pseudonym. <laughs> what? He was a secret footballer. <laughs> no one must not have played football. In the programme and on the team sheets he was known as A. H. Checker. This was because he'd already registered to play for another team at the start of this tournament, the Harrow Exchequers. So he'd come up with a pseudonym that was more obvious <laughs> than his actual name. It's, it's like it's like when Dracula in like fanfics calls himself Alucard. It's mm. like, mm, come on. <laughs> I can read, buddy. The other interesting thing about this was, this was before the concept of being cup-tied. So there was absolutely no reason for him to try and hide the fact that he'd already played a game. But was everybody involved? Like, sometimes I genuinely think that everybody before 1860 was on psychedelics the whole time. Well, this is after. This is the 1870s. They're on the come down. Oh, sorry. After, this is 1880, then. Whatever. Alcock himself scored a second goal, but it was disallowed by the referee for a handball in the build-up. Oh, that's surprising. I thought Alcock was going to get it all his own way. Mm-hmm. Despite a late surge by the 10 men, of the Royal Engineers, well, ten and a bit. You know, he's still on the pitch. He's just holding <laughs> yeah. a broken collarbone. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to see him actually kick the ball. <laughs> it remained one nil. So the first FA Cup was won by Wanderers FC, oh, captained on, by the guy who had come up with the concept of the FA Cup. Oh yeah. The cup was not awarded until a month later at a presentation at the Wanderers annual dinner. Each player also got a silk badge from the FA to commemorate their victory. Nice. I bet those badges are worth a lot of money now. I, I doubt any of them still exist. If they do, probably a hell of a lot of money. Wanderers, also, they didn't just get a nice cup mm-hmm. and a silk badge. Is it, right, do, 
just to interject with a question, is it still the same cup? Like the cup that Wanderers were awarded the first time, is that the FA Cup now? As far as I'm aware, yes. Wow. I mean, that is pretty cool. That is cool. But as well as all of those things, Wanderers got a bye directly into the 1973 FA Cup final. The 1973 FA the Cup final? The next year's FA Cup final. Do you mean, do you mean the 1873 FA Cup final? 1873. <laughs> <laughs> it was written in. And in 101 years, we shall play again. I was more thinking like some mad scientist turned up and went right into the cryo chamber. I was, I was writing this late and obviously you, you, you know, sort of, Reset to what you know, don't you? <laughs> so into the 1873 FA Cup final. This was in keeping with Olcock's original idea that it'd be a challenge cup. Oh, yeah, I get that. I get that, yeah. It was the, only, mad, it was the it. only time that the rule was used. Oh, right, because he didn't win the next mm. time. Presumably. No, they were going to beat Oxford in the second FA Cup final 2-0. Mm. However, Olcock was no longer in the team at that point. So he didn't care anymore. So he didn't care anymore. Oh, my God. He is Michel Platini. <laughs> well, no, he'd gone on to bigger and better things. He'd gone on to become the secretary of Surrey Cricket Club. Oh, well, yes. And he then arranged the first international test match in England. Hmm. England versus Australia in 1880 at the Kennington Oval. Oh, I know about that one. Yeah. England got battered and it was a national humiliation. <laughs> and it launched the ashes. Sorry, did I steal your thunder? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't even mentioning the ashes because this is a football thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, he he also introduced the concept of national humiliation to the Australians. Yeah, so no, what that's, a guy. that's two things. <laughs> the same venue as for the first FA Cup final in 1872, and the first international football match with Scotland in 1870, which of course Olcock also organised. <laughs> he just really loved yeah. countries playing other countries at things. What I believe happened is he struck a deal with the Oval, saying. I want to book you for seven different events over the next few years. And then he just was scrabbling about for events. You got a really great rate for the one one he for the one he actually wanted to yeah, do. Just, oh, I can fill it. I can fill it. Don't you worry. Uh he had of course made himself captain of the first ever England team. Yeah, why wouldn't you? But this is the blemish on his record. The match was a one one draw. Mm. Alcock died in nineteen oh seven. At the age of 64. By this time, the first professional football league in England had two divisions of 20 teams each. And the last FA Cup final of his lifetime saw Everton beat Ooh. Newcastle United 1-0 in front of over 75,000 yeah. people. And that was roughly the last time they ever tasted glory. I don't know. They won the FA Cup in 1995. Mm. It's a, I mean, you know, Paul Rideout header against Manchester United, if I remember, because I went to school with Paul Rideout's son. Mm. He was called Ben. Fair enough. And if you're out there, Ben, hi. <laughs> so there you go. Mm. That is the first FA Cup, and Mr. Alcock, mm-hmm. organizer of sporting things. He would I mean, later posthumously go on to organise the first Olympics. <laughs> and right. something like the 17th Tour de France, weirdly. To, to sum up, yep. football's upper echelons haven't changed. <laughs> they were corrupt at the very beginning. They're still corrupt now. Mm. Congratulations, everyone. We've advanced exactly 0% in 140 years. Wanderers well still exist as a club. 
As Wanderers. As Wanderers, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. And they played, uh, what was it? They played a, a game against the Royal Engineers. Mm. I think it was something like the 125th anniversary of the FA Cup. To commemorate like that, to commemorate it. Yeah. it. I, I can't remember what the score was. Where did, what, sure. what, what level do Wanderers play at nowadays? Not a, not a high one. Super amateur. Super amateur, yeah. <laughs> They're like light, light, light featherweight. <laughs> I don't know. We should. I think we should rename all of our. Like, doing it after numbers is boring as hell, guys. League one, league two. No, 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 no. We should be boss league, the other league. Well, we're doing that. I mean, we've got the Premiership, the Championship, hmm. the Crucible, the Fight Zone. Yeah, you know. Let's let's get a bit Hack creative and about it. <laughs> Hack and stabby North. Murder Dome. You know, Maybe it, we should bring in a rule where if you go below a certain level, hacking comes into it. Like two, you know, two tier, two yeah, tier rules. Yeah, but like, well, we got to be honest, we've got two tier rules now. It, you know, the rules for the Premier League with VAR and with all of those kinds of things are not the same as what you would get watching Southport play. Yeah, true. You know, you if 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 a ball clearly crosses the line and you're not Sheffield United. <laughs> In the Premier League, you will be given that goal. Whereas if the ball clearly crosses the line, but the ref doesn't see it in any other league, doesn't count. It doesn't count. So we do have two tiers. So maybe it is time to start bringing back some of those things. Yeah, like let's make it more exciting. Everybody's always worried about crowds and gate receipts at lower league football. Let's make it more of a spectacle. Let's say, what's the PT Barnum rule? Let's do that. Whatever that rule is. I don't know the PT Barnum rule, but what no, I do that's know a is su- that's, there's a sucker born every minute. That probably you're, really you're allowed. You're allowed a chariot to come into play <laughs> for five minutes. <laughs> and Southport's manager has pushed a chariot button. Let's get some blades up in here. <laughs> They've gone chariot early. <laughs> it's it's classically considered a tactical error, <laughs> <laughs> but it's more and more the modern way. <laughs> So in summation, football's always been corrupt and let's bring chariots to lower league football. 